Welcome back to the 846 Podcast. Handel Viral here, joined by Kevin Joseph again. Kevin, good to see you. Good to see you too, man. It looks like things aren't slowing down. No, you know, we, I know we mused that this wasn't going to be the last time something happened. And sure enough, here we are again. Another conversation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get started, though, we did say we were going to be accountable and we we're going to follow up on what... Uh, what we've done since that uh, last podcast to to get involved. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll go first. Sure. So since that uh, last podcast, I uh, attended my first uh, protest, which was uh, was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, it's important for people to get out and support. Uh, I think Toronto um, might be a little bit behind most cities in terms of uh, the response to this. Because uh, you see some of the global pictures, you know, Germany's got tens of thousands of people. Hey, forget Germany, actually. Mm-hmm. Kitchener had 12,000 people. Right. Right? That's huge. And it's Kitchener. It's Kitchener, Ontario. <laughs> they had 12,000 people. So I yeah. think uh, there's more that people can do to get involved in Toronto and just get out and make sure their voice is being heard. You know, again, we talked about just shining a bright light on this. So... Um, People just have to show up, you know, come out, support. Right now, there's a lot of downtime in the city. Uh, wear your mask, social distance, do what you need to do. Uh, but you can come out. It's a nice bike ride to on the protest route. A lot of people bring their bikes and just come for a nice ride and talk to people. Uh, Toronto police have done an incredible job at the protest of keeping everybody safe. Um, and also, in uh, it doesn't look like America. You know, at the protests, the officers are, they're really just chaperoning the march. You know, it isn't this intimidation of you guys need to wrap up and there's conversations happening. I see officers talking to people at the marches. It's nice to see. It's great. Um, so we could probably be a model for a lot of people in what the protest should look like. Mm-hmm. But I do want to see more people come out and uh, really get behind the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have continued to commit to doing this podcast. It's another part of the accountability piece for us. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I'm continuing to explore options in terms of uh, getting involved at the local and uh, provincial level of government to see how I can get involved in some groups. Uh, I also want to shout out Wes Hall, uh, Toronto executive, who's just launched uh, something called the uh, Black North Initiative. And I'm keen to get involved there as well. So I'd like to see what uh, Wes does with that. What about you? Uh, so two two things for me. Number one is, if we talk about uh, continuing the conversation really started to open up dialogue with a lot of my white friends. Um, yeah. and, and I'll be happy to say that actually I've had a couple of my white friends reach out to me yeah. partially because of the podcast, the, the, the first ones that we did, um, and they've seen what we had to talk about and they're interested to sort of find out more. For and, sure. Um, and then some just really just trying to be open to people who actually have a voice and, and are willing to talk about it. So they can also be educated. So it's it's taken the time to let other people understand the black experience. Yeah. To sort of uh, help them be educated. The other thing that I did, which I kind of slacked on for a little while, but there's an organization called ABLE. It's the Association of Black Law Enforcers. And I've reestablished my connection with that group. And it's really for two reasons. Number one, it's to support other black people that are in, in the law enforcement community but it's also an organization that's meant to sort of drive the conversation, see how we could better policing and other law enforcement sides yeah. within the black community. So trying to get back involved, it's, like I said, it's kind of an association or it's within the realm of what I do 
uh, in sort of my day-to-day life, but I think it's an area where we can help start the conversation and help with police forces and military organizations to get the conversation going and sort of, you know, just let the community know what's going on. So that's my yeah. my big thing is, is is repaid my membership and got back into the association. Um, there's a bunch of meetings that happen year round and try to start attending those those um, those meetings. So the first thing we really have to do is to yeah. sort of re-engage that, that membership within the organization and go from there. So that's my big thing right now. Yeah, I had, I had a friend reach out to me as well to to grab a coffee and figure out how he could get involved, how he can support yeah. uh, the initiative. Um, that's good to see. I mean, yeah. if people are reaching out, sending text messages or uh, posting on social media and saying, hey, this is a good thing, mm-hmm. um, that's a step in the right direction for sure. Yes. You know, we're definitely making some progress. And I was really impressed. Uh, I think it was last week, uh, Brendan Shanahan went on overdrive in TSN and talked about what MLSE is doing. Mm-hmm. It's awfully impressive. Right. Uh, and Messiah Jerry, of course, is the ambassador for that program. Um, but it's impressive. And to hear Shanahan speak about it um, and the way he talked about it, yeah. incredible. You've got to look this up. Uh, flying it, it was overdrive. It was one day last week uh, when Shanahan was on. Uh, it was just fantastic. Uh, you know, the MLSE is bringing in uh, an Atlanta-based organization to talk to their leadership team about implicit bias right. Right? And, and making sure that their, their frontline people mm-hmm. um, are doing the right things. And that's impressive from a, a hockey organization especially. Yeah. Uh, it's great to see. So uh, I'll yeah. admit, and I'm not trying to plug MLSE, but I actually used to work for the organization. So okay. I know that they're about diversity and yeah. I know that they're, they're very willing to be open. Um, and, you know, having, having heard you just say that too, I mean, there's people within that organization that I can still reach back out to to see if we can engage conversation, how we could be a part. If there's anything that yeah. we can do to help supplement what they're doing. So um, definitely some, some friends. And actually one of the guys that I said reached out to me uh, last week yeah. is someone who I also used to work with at MLSC with, who happens yeah. to be white. So um, definitely, again, the conversation is going, it's stirring. And, I, and I'm glad to see that people are, are finally you know, not afraid to admit that they're having the conversation. And, yep. and we're talking about that elephant in the room. And I, I think there's a lot of good things that are going to come from these conversations that are starting. A hundred percent. Yeah. Let's see uh, where we can take it. Yeah, for sure. So, Kevin, here we are again. We, we just finished talking about George Floyd. Yeah. And now we have a new case. Right. Now we have uh, Rashad Brooks in Atlanta. Uh, different scenario. And... Um, yeah, but it's still a conversation that we, we need to have. Um, I'm sure you've seen the video. Uh, what were your takeaways from it? <laughs> um, this this one is this one's tricky. I mean, I think the the very first time that I saw the video, um, and I, I think I watched most of the video. I know it was a bit choppy in pieces. I know there's more that's come out since then. And when I first when I first saw the video, it as much as it's disheartening, it didn't raise the same level of um, sensitivity as it did for me with, with George. With you there for sure, right? Yeah, it, it certainly, it certainly did not. Um, and and to be honest with you, I'm I'm still I don't want to say I'm struggling with it, but I'm still in that kind of unknown with how I feel. Um, but I definitely know that there's a lot of learnings that can come from it. And the thing I hate the most is that. Someone has to die for us to have learnings. And I think that's the, the troubling part of all of this. Oh, for sure. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I think when you look at the fact that for, what, 40 minutes or so, 
he was compliant. He was having a conversation. Everything seemed to be relatively cordial. I mean, I know the police officers were, were trying to do their job, yeah. but, you know, Richard wasn't aggressive. He wasn't fighting with them. Um, you look at when things turn sideways, which is obviously when they go to put their hands on him and, and, and affect the arrest, and he decides to fight. And I was watching a, a video earlier. I think it's Vaughn Jones. I hope I'm mispronouncing his name. Um, who who mentioned something? And I think oh, Van Jones. Van Jones. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And 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 he was saying that you know um, I guess Richard is on probation or was on probation. Yes. And psychologically, what the arrest means? It's not so much that I want to fight the cops. It's more of I want to. I, I don't want to go back to jail, kind of a thing. Yeah. Right? Uh, I know I'm very I'm, I'm shortchanging the the whole conversation that the Van Jones was making. Um, but it's it's that side, and I can I can understand, and I'm starting to learn to understand the mentality of someone who's going back or has the potential to go back to prison. And it's not so much that he's fighting police. He's really fighting the desire not to be back in an institution for something that seemed to have started from a really minor. Yeah. And I'm not trying to raise levels of crime. Um, so this is where I struggle is because I, is it justified the shooting? I can see where the police officer is coming from. Yeah, it's it, it. But I think that the hard part is, is the, the shooting from behind the back, I think, is where it really. Right. You know, it comes back to training. Could they have done things differently? There's a bunch of things they could have done differently. I'm really struggling with this one, to be honest with you. Again, I yeah. don't think he should have died. I don't think he should have been shot like that. But it's 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 different. It's not the same level as George Floyd. Yeah, to I have to agree. When, when I first watched it, um I did feel some outrage the first time because I thought the guy's running away. Do you do you really need to shoot him? It's a DWI. You've got the car. He's not really a danger to other people at this point. Um, maybe try to pick him up later on. So my immediate response was this was not a justified shooting. Um, they terminated the, the officer. Uh, and I was really shocked by the charges they brought, pretty heavy charges. And really quick, uh, life sentence yeah. or or death penalty, yeah. which have now taken death penalty off the table. Um, and then I did what I always do: I talked to an, another officer and say, "What's your opinion on this shooting?" Right. And he immediately said, "That shooting is justified. Yeah. That officer should not even lose his job." Right. I was like, "Why? What, what are you mm -hmm. seeing that I'm not seeing?" Mm -hmm. He's like, "There's a lot of things there. For one, he's driving a rental car." His driver's license is out of town. They can't go just pick him up. But more important than that, he was saying, a taser is not a deadly weapon. Agree. However, if he tases the cop, he can now take his weapon, which changes everything. So he was saying if he was in that exact same situation, he would have used his firearm because he was not going to allow himself to be tased and then suffer the consequences that come after with being tased. Right. And, you know, I think to that point, yeah. he doesn't want the potential of this suspect to yeah. get his weapon. Stop and think of it for a second. Yeah. He already has one of their weapons. Yes. So, so it puts it into yeah. a different context. It's, you know, if there was a, a quick resistance and I'm fleeing and I'm running and I get yeah. three shots in the back, completely, in my opinion, yeah. unjustified. We're not even having this conversation. But... You know, he's wrestled with the police officers. He's acquired one of their weapons. Yes. Yet it's a non-lethal weapon. But it, 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 although it's a non-lethal option, 
it can be lethal. I, I think that needs to be sure. said. Yeah. But he actually has already proven that he has the ability to get their weapon and run off with it. Yes. And now if I'm able to tase you, if I come back now and I get your firearm, it, it's, it's another conversation. So I think when you start to really look at those things in perspective, I can, I can understand why a police officer might feel he needs to deploy his weapon. He's already got a weapon being used against him. Yeah. I think that if it was me in that situation, I think I might deploy my weapon as well. Yeah. Well, and here's, and I think the other thing that I think is important is that when police officers shoot, put yourself in their mind for a second. Are they shooting to kill or are they shooting to stop? And this is, this is the question. You can't shoot when a guy is running, you're not aiming to shoot his calf. Right. You're not shooting to hit his bicep. You're trained to shoot body mass. Absolutely. And you know, I, I think it's hard to suggest that the police officer shot with the intent to kill him. And that's the unknown. Yeah. He definitely, he wants to incapacitate him. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean he wants to kill him. The unfortunate part is, from what, we, what I've heard, is that one of the bullets pierced his heart. It's part of the mass area. The yeah. chances are, yes, it may hit the heart. But I think that's the struggle is like, did he intend to kill him? And I don't know if we could really answer that at this point. Yeah. You know, my mind's been changed after talking to that officer. Um, I, I, I look at it now and I realize that, yeah, I would also deploy my weapon in that scenario. Um, and yes, he died and that's unfortunate. But I don't think this officer um, should be facing charges. I'm not even sure he should be fired. I think a suspension uh, would have been su sufficient. Um and now we've got a much bigger problem. We've got a mayor in Atlanta and a district attorney in Atlanta who are people of color. And I think politics is entering into this a little bit here. Mm -hmm. uh, the charges are so strong, so aggressive. You know, when you compare it to the charges in Minnesota, mm -hmm. where we watch someone murder somebody in cold blood, right. uh, and the charges didn't reach this level, mm -hmm. uh, this district attorney is going to end up looking terrible here. I think he's, uh, he's overreached mm -hmm. in trying to make an impression that they're going to be tough on racism and tough on police brutality. I think they've lost their way here and, and got too heavy-handed. Mm -hmm. And they could set back this great movement that we have yeah. with that approach, right? My, my thought as well is this, and, and I, I want to make sure I'm absolutely clear. I am not suggesting that anybody deserves to die at the hands of police. Yeah. What I think we need to be absolutely careful of though is that we now don't make it the minute that somebody that's black does something quote unquote wrong yeah and it's a white police officer who happens to be on the opposite side of that yeah that all of a sudden now everyone's getting fired yeah people are resigning yeah because we can go the opposite way where it becomes anarchy we can just do whatever the heck we want to do that's what i think we need to be careful of yeah absolutely when there is injustice done we have to fight we have to make our voices heard we can't necessarily paint the same brush with every crime that happens now moving forward because yeah. then it waters down the meaning of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Again, yes, could this situation have been handled differently as a Monday morning quarterback in hindsight? Absolutely. Yeah. It could be done differently. But in that moment, and when you look at what you see, and you see a relatively calm person for 40 some odd minutes, and then it goes sideways very, very quickly. Yeah. He gets the weapon. 
He runs off with it. He points it at the police officer. And that's the moment. You have to do something. Yes, it's unfortunate what happened. But when you look at those compiling circumstances, is it unreasonable to think that a police officer would deploy their weapon? I don't think it's unreasonable. That's just my my, my take on it. And I don't want to see that now we just make everything be about race. And now... You know, everyone's getting fired the minute they do something wrong because now you could also end up where there are police officers who don't take action when they should take action. Yeah. And then now we're crying bloody murder when someone, you know, it's, I don't want to get into a lot of the Toronto politics with with policing and stuff like that. But if now all of a sudden I'm a black individual, I'm doing something wrong, a white police officer comes up and is like, you know what? I don't want to touch that because if I make an action, we don't want that. I don't want that. So now the action that I'm doing now causes the death of somebody else. Yeah. Now people are going to say, well, the police officer didn't respond. Yeah. So we have to be careful that there's a right balance between, you know, acting appropriately when a police officer acts inappropriately and the opposite side, which is just now it being an issue. Anytime someone does something wrong, it's about race. And I think, yeah, politics is starting to become a part of that where it's, you know, I looked at this situation and from what I can tell from what, from my angle, looks like an apparent proper response from the police to now where people, like, they got charged, like, the next day, it seemed like. Yeah. It, it's, it's, where is the opportunity to say, okay, you know what, suspension pending and further investigation, let's look at the facts, let's figure it out. And then we'll take the yeah. appropriate action. This is a different story than George yeah. Floyd, as far as I'm concerned. I think Atlanta has got to uh, take a look in the mirror because flashback during the uh, protests, there was a young uh, couple, um, two African-American kids, college kids, driving in a car and police approached them, smashed the window, tasers deployed, uh, and the mayor had them fired the next day. Right Now... That's from the video they saw of what was going on. But since then, I've seen a video of what happened before that. I wonder if the mayor saw that video. And the video shows that the car is driving in the street and the officers are tapping on the window on both sides. And they keep their car rolling. I mean, they're not driving away, but the car keeps moving. And it's clear the officer is not tapping on the window to say, Hi, how are you? He's tapping around <laughs> to say, stop. Right. I want to get your attention. Mm-hmm. And they kept the car rolling. And so again, I think Atlanta has got two problems. Right. They may have a problem with uh, cops that are overreaching or whatever it might be. But no, I think the leadership is going way too far in how they're trying to uh, police the police. Right. They're going to make it difficult for policemen to do their job. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get somebody killed. Yeah. They're going to get someone killed who shows up in the neighborhood where everyone's black and they're uh, Caucasian, and now they're afraid to respond appropriately to someone who's dangerous. That's that can't happen. It's a very it's a very slippery slope. Yeah, I'm hoping that in the next few weeks, by the next time we tape, mm-hmm. that this district attorney takes a look again at the case, right. and lowers those charges or right. does something smart here, because what he's got on the table right now doesn't seem even close to reasonable. And I think you know I, I'm gonna go back for. Quick second, even to like the Obama era, yeah. where now when people of color are in um, positions of authority and of significant um, power, there's an expectation that you're automatically going to side yes. with your own people. And 
I can appreciate where that where that pressure comes from because people yeah. feel like finally there's one of us yeah. in that position. You're the one that's going to make change for us. And yes, you should be able to try to, you know, um, use your position where you can, where it's appropriate to help affect change for sure. that are going to help your people. But you you can't just say that every time something happens, I need to be the, the one to make that, yeah. that change. Because sometimes it just doesn't work that way. Um, and I mean, the other thing, I don't want to change topics or to change the direction for a second, but it also is kind of challenging to me why all of a sudden I'm seeing a lot of these police chiefs all over the country, the minute something happens, they're resigning. Yeah. Which is a whole other conversation. Maybe we could take that another time. But yeah. it's just like there's something that's going on that is just, you know, it's it's I don't want to say it's rubbing me the wrong way, but it's really making me take a step back and go, why are people making these decisions? Yeah. Well, that Atlanta chief, I'm going to just guess. Yeah. I have no knowledge. I'm, I'm guessing here. Right. I'm going to guess that Atlanta chief can't look those officers in the eye. Right. Knowing that her hand's been forced to fire these officers. Right. Can't look them in the eye because right. you're leading the troops. Yeah. When you're the general, they're looking to you to guide them. Right. If you don't have their back when they haven't done anything wrong, right. they're not going to look to you for leadership. Yeah. So I think uh, in that scenario, she has no choice but to resign. She's kind of being forced out of her job because she can't do her job. Right. Not, I, not what we want to see. I think also there is this perspective of, I don't really want to deal with all the backlash. Yeah. Because backlash nowadays is coming hard, fast, and furious. And it's kind of like you say, you don't want no smoke with that person. Like, you know, yeah. you know your whole city is about to get turned upside down. I, you know, I, the Wendy's got burnt down. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I, I, there's the burning of places. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Wendy's did nothing to Richard Brooks. Mm-hmm. What, what, I, I, I don't Furthermore. I, which is more frustrating for me in this particular situation, not, not in protests. I understand people come out intentionally to riot during protests. They're yeah. not part of the protest. This one's unusual because I would bet anything in that neighborhood that all the employees of that Wendy's are probably African-American. Right. Yeah. So who doesn't have a job tomorrow? It's... How does this make any sense? Yeah. Like, like who, who allows people to show up and burn that down? Mm-hmm. This does not make any sense. Right. You're destroying your own neighborhood taking jobs away from people you probably know. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I I know for me, what I want to do is to continue to follow the story. I know it's still a developing story. It's it's been a few days, but it's still developing. Um, I definitely want to do a little bit more research to find out. I've looked at all the video, but I really want to follow what charges are there and see see what happens. And and again, next time we tape, I think we'll be able to have maybe a clearer understanding or see what changes have been made. Or have happened to the, the charges, but uh, but definitely one to, to continue following. Yeah, for sure. You know, to wrap up, I'd say that if you're a police officer in Atlanta, uh, when you go to work and and your wife or husband texts you and you don't respond, they're probably wondering if something happened to you. Right. Which is the same experience a lot of moms have in these uh, uh, economically challenged neighborhoods in America, where black kids go out at night. And the mom hasn't heard from them, and they start thinking, well, what happened to him? Yeah. Did he get picked up by police? Like, what's going on? Yeah. We got to get that out of the system for sure. Like, people need to be able to do their jobs effectively to police communities to help us, really. Uh, and young black men need to feel safe also out there. Right. 
right? We got to meet somewhere in between. I need to see more of these videos where cops are playing with kids in the ghettos, playing basketball, throwing a football. You know, the more of these videos I see, the better I'm going to feel right. about where we're going because that's where we need to get to. Yeah, absolutely. The next thing I wanted to talk about today is this movement about defunding the government. Now, I'm not even sure if most people actually know what that means. So the government or the police? Sorry. Defunding the police. Sorry. Okay. Right. Yeah, we, we don't want to defund the government. Let's not, let's not do that. But that might not be a bad idea like, either. We're talking about something completely different yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, hey, that might catch on if I keep on saying it. Yeah. Uh, I see all these people in the streets and they've got these signs, defund the police, defund the police. And I'm thinking, do they understand what that means? Right. I think some of them actually think it means uh, police are not going to get any more money from the governments at all. Right. And... Everyone's going to police their own community. Obviously, it doesn't mean that, right? Defunding the government is not actually a bad thing. It sounds, sorry, the police, uh, it sounds horrible because you think it means they're going to shut everything down and there's going to be anarchy in the streets and yada, yada, yada. But that's not what it means. And it's not a bad thing to look at. And I think the word defunding uh, takes away from the actual message. It's not really about defunding. It's about redistributing money right. that the police services are receiving right now. Um, and for good reason, not just because you want to punish them because of what's happening, because that doesn't make any sense either. Uh, I think it's more so with saying, hey, what are police doing now that they didn't do before? Police didn't respond to wellness checks before. Right. And I don't think they're, they're skilled enough to handle a wellness check. You're walking into a situation that you have no idea what you're going to meet. I'm not sure if police are ready for that. So I would say that's one area where police could come out of that that those calls and that not be something they respond to unless something goes wrong because they're not ready to handle that at all. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe they respond with a social worker, but it doesn't seem like uh, police are equipped to handle mental health challenges. They, they tend to always have things go wrong in those scenarios. Um, that's one area. Maybe in the, in the U.S., defunding the government also means not having a police officer in the school and instead having security, mm -hmm. right? Again, Nothing wrong with that either. Right. Right. So if those are the things that we're looking at, I think someone needs to just change the narrative. Because mm -hmm. when you say defund the police, it sounds crazy. Right. And everyone gets the wrong message. Mm -hmm. When it's really just about redistributing the money that they get, um, that it goes into the right avenues to help things. So maybe taking some money and putting it into a community to develop that community with, say, after school programs or rec facilities, mm -hmm. things that help keep kids off the street and don't lead them down that, that wrong path. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm in favor of that. There's no reason not to look at it. No one should be not in favor of just looking at how the money is spent right. and maybe taking police out of calls that they don't have to respond to or shouldn't be responding to. Right. I, I, I would agree with you. When I first started hearing about defunding the police, it, it did have that same connotation of yeah. almost get rid of the police, which yeah. I was saying to someone earlier, is like, so what are you going to do when, when someone breaks into your house? Who are you going to yeah. call, right? If you defund the police and they're, yeah. they're not there, they're the first person you call when something bad happens to you. So it can't be about that. Um, and I think you're right. It's about sort of reallocating where the money is spent. Typically, the, the biggest the biggest budget expense for police is actually the, the human resources part. It's the, the manpower, the woman yeah. power that's on there. And so every year when police force are looking for more and more money because they need to hire more officers, then maybe one of the things is to reduce the amount of officers, but the money that you're saving, perhaps, we see these incidents, right? I, I'll speak to a couple that happened here in Toronto. Incident happens, 
And of course, there's no body cameras because the police officer didn't have a body camera. They didn't have it on or something like that. So some of the tools that they need, let's take away some of the human resources side of it, perhaps, and reallocate that money to make sure that the equipment that they so desperately need, they also have, which can be a benefit to the public. Of course. Because the, 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 the equipment that they're being given is to help the public feel protected. So maybe that's one thing as well. Agree. Um, and so I think that the, the other reallocation aspect might be because it's all basically taxpayer dollars and, and city funding yeah. is maybe there are, like you said, social programs, whether it's housing, whether it's to help the homeless. Well, it, it could be a number of different things. Whereas where police are receiving these larger budgets for their, their manpower, maybe there are other social issues that we could help sort of reallocate that money towards. I, I'm with you. I don't believe that defunding the police from a perspective of let's just get rid of them and, and we don't need them anymore. We'll all self-govern. Yeah. Give your head a shake. That's not that's not yeah, going to work. I, for me, I don't want to live in a city it, yeah, I, I don't police either. are defunded. That's just you know, for me. And, and, and to me, I would say we need police officers. You will have do. to have police officers. This is not about getting rid of them. Um, but I, I would agree. It's definitely about looking at, and why shouldn't you? Any successful business... Every year when it comes to budget time, they look at where are we spending our money, where can we cut back, where can yeah. we be more efficient. Those are things that are normal in every in every yeah. area of business, right? Um, and so I think that's something that they should be doing is taking a look seriously at where they spend where they spend that money. Yeah, I want police officers to be well paid too. So I, I don't want them to be cutting money that might affect uh, possible pay increases. Right. You want these guys to actually be happy in their jobs because we rely on them heavily. Right. You know, when things go south, that's who we need. It's kind of like, kind of parallel. If you look at the COVID situation, mm-hmm. we didn't know we were going to need nurses and doctors so much, right. but now we do. Right. Right? Because all the years of cutting healthcare, cutting, 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 now we're like, oh, wait, we need these people. Um, same with police. I want them to be happy in their job. I want them to be uh, properly funded yeah. so they have equipment. Right. Uh, they're being paid appropriately, and they can actually feel like going to work every day and taking care of the city because we need them to take care of the city. And I, know, I also know for a fact that there are already things that the police don't do as much as they used to. So before, you know, um, you have a, a um, let's say someone steals a bicycle or something like that. Yeah. You're sending a police car and, and, and two people to go and take a report where now it's, there's an online portal. Yeah. Fill in your report. If it meets a certain threshold, then they'll maybe send someone to investigate. But uh, to go and, and show up for a, a little bicycle theft... I mean, short of you getting robbed for your bicycle, that's a different story. Yeah. Because it's a robbery. Yeah, when I progress, come out, my bike sure. that was locked to a tree is now gone. Fill a report online, and we'll yeah. see. We'll see. What don't, we see don't waste police resources don't, on that. Yeah. So, so we're already we're already seeing that. So, there's nothing wrong with taking a look at: Do we need to send police to yeah. particular types of calls, which are now more of the public facing side? And whereas maybe it's you know a social worker or someone that's trained with yeah. mental health. Maybe that's maybe instead of police officers that are being added to the payroll, yeah. it's therapists or something that are being added to the payroll. And now it's, you know, a police officer and a therapist or a police yeah. officer and a mental health worker that goes to these types of calls. Instead of just training the police officer to deal with mental health, hire a mental health professional to go with the police officer. Maybe that's just a little bit of a change too, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, those changes are good. Uh, everyone benefits from that. Um, but I do want us to stop just saying defund the police. Yeah, I, uh, we, we need to reallocate the money. Right. Agree. But defund the police, just it's a bad message. It just it doesn't sound right. Uh, even if you, you understand fully what it means, it just doesn't sound good. Like 
in the find in, a new slogan in the narrative of police brutality in the narrative of you know um looking for protection for for you know minorities and, and stuff like that the defund the police is a, is a great slogan because it, it fits the narrative yeah. of what you're trying to achieve um but you're right though when it comes to an actual conversation about how we affect change it's the wrong i think it's the wrong title for what we're trying to talk about which is really allocation of the resources rather than defunding the police 100 percent, yeah no i'm gonna ask you a question because uh in this past week we've seen a lot of brands say hey we need to change our packaging because we don't want us to have uh aunt jemima in our packaging anymore yeah uncle ben's in our packaging people are renaming things where do you sit on this do you think this is positive do you think it's necessary <laughs> Uh, is it actually achieving anything? Uh, does it matter? Should it just be done anyway? Where do you sit? Here's where I sit. Um, I will applaud any change. Right. I, I think change is the best for our future. Yeah. On the flip side, the, the, the cynical person in me says, what took you so long? Right. And Jemima has been this Forever. brand for 131 years or something like that that I've heard. I was reading yeah. an article. Yeah. Even if it was 50 years that Aunt Jemima has been yeah. a, a staple. It's a long time. Yeah. It's been a long time, yeah. right? I'm 42 years old. Aunt Jemima has been around as long as I've been around. So at least for 42 years, yeah. not one instance before this, have you thought that, hmm, you know, maybe perhaps we should change our, yeah. our logo here. And so I find that when it comes to um, saving your own backside, quite frankly, yeah. Brands are now coming out with their statements, and I'm I like to see that the brands are saying that yes, we want to stand against yeah you know racism and stuff like that. But I'm like, but why is it taking all of this to for you to now make this? Why shouldn't you have made this decision earlier? You know, um, it's like someone who decides to you know change their ways because now everyone's making noise about it. But you should have known your yeah. ways were wrong from a long time ago. So. You know, it sounds like I'm giving it a, a backhanded compliment, which is I'm glad to see change, but you should have done it. But it, yeah. it it makes me think like, you know, if this is what it's going to take you to to make change, then great. I, th I think these brands are riding the wave. It's, of course. A, it's opportunistic. They just want to be part of the movement so they can say they've done something. Right. Um, I've never thought about those brands in particular and oh, I won't buy it because of I haven't. Right. right? Um, but I will say this. I think some brands actually mean what they say. Right. And I'm going to reference Nike, mm -hmm. standing behind uh, Kaepernick, yeah. standing behind Tiger Woods, when it wasn't a popular thing to do. Right. Now, I can respect that brand for that reason. So they have a history of standing behind right. what they believe in, yes. Yeah. You know, they're not just along for the ride. Oh, Tiger Woods is in trouble. We got to bail. Right. right. They stood with him. Mm -hmm. They stood with Colin Kaepernick right. in a big way. Uh, that's bold moves. Right. You know, this week, uh, two things happened that shocked me. One was much bigger than the other. So I'll start with the one that's not so big. Okay. I was really surprised to see Roger Goodell come out and say the NFL was not going to punish players anymore for kneeling. Mm -hmm. That shocked me. Mm -hmm. But the one that really blew me away, because this is real change, I couldn't believe it. I had to double check it wasn't fake news, is NASCAR saying... You can't bring the Confederate flag into events anymore. <laughs> now, if yeah. you've ever been to a NASCAR race, the flag is everywhere. Right. 
that's taking a stand. Right. That is really taking a stand because right. you're talking to your fan base and you're saying, we need you to change. Right. Even if it costs us money. Because right. it's a bold statement for NASCAR to say, yeah. no more Confederate flags. I mean, that's a part of a NASCAR event. That was accepted always. You would, you expect that when you go yeah. to NASCAR. It's funny. Yeah. I, I think of NASCAR and I think of Dukes of Hazzard for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Old TV shows. And, you know, you're right. It, it's when a, when a company is willing to part with money. Yes. And I know that I'm sure some businesses, there's collateral damage. You expect to lose money on certain yep. ventures. And that's just the way business is. But you're right. If, you're, if your general fan base is that. Yes. And you're willing to risk and lose all of that based on your stand, then I applaud you for that, 100%. That's you know incredible. I mean? yeah. yeah. That's truly incredible. You were willing to make such a bold move. It blew me away. I was like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. I got to double check this, triple check this right. to see that it's real because uh, it's a new day. Right. When NASCAR says, don't bring your Confederate flags here anymore. That was impressive. I'm going to applaud them for it. I think it was huge. Huge. Yeah. So, so, Kevin, before we wrap up, um, why don't we talk about uh, what some other people are doing out there in terms of uh, podcasts um, and just people who are starting to step up and, and do the right thing to support the movement and to make sure that we keep this light bright as possible on this issue of racism. Um, the one that jumps to my mind, Emmanuel Acho. And hopefully I'm not yes. chopping up his name. No, no, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I think I can sum it up with that. I love it. Uh, I think it's, I think that kind of, kind of open conversation that I mentioned earlier that yeah. I've, I've started to reach out and other friends of mine who are white just started to reach out to me and we're having that conversation. I love the way that his podcast or his videos are done. Yeah. Um, I think they're, they're very entertaining in the sense that they're very real. They're not, yeah. even though I know there's a very specific focus on how he's doing it and why he's doing it, it's a very easy watch. They're not long, crazy videos. They hit right to the point, and I love his demeanor in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I did catch the one he did with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Uh, that was fantastic. Um, I thought that McConaughey was really genuine yeah. in the questions he was asking in the conversation. It was a great dialogue. Yeah. Uh, I think more of that would be good. I see that Don Lemon of CNN is starting one up soon. Okay. I think it's called Silence is Not an Option. Um, yes, I've seen a heading yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah it hasn't, mm-hmm. hasn't aired yet, but I'm looking forward to see what he does with his. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, for anyone, again, who is thinking about how they can get involved, um, I still think ultimately the best way to affect change um, is to not be silent. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I love this new tagline of, we need people to be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. That's a good tagline. It's really just saying, um, it's not enough to say that I'm not racist. You got you to gotta stand up against racism. Right. You see it happening, uh, you got to speak up. Mm-hmm. You got to be uh, brave enough and bold enough to attach your name to it, mm-hmm. saying, hey, I stand against racism. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not funny. There's, there's no joke here. This is, this is real life. So if we can get everyone to do that, I think we're going to advance this cause like big time so hopefully everyone who's thinking about getting involved starts really realizing that they have more power than they do they can affect change just by day-to-day actions and interacting with friends family um, at the dinner table at the office wherever it might be 
Um, I think that's where good conversation can take place to to really start making change happen. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, content creators. I, I I'm on YouTube quite heavily, and yeah. and and I'm now because everyone's sending these videos around to each other, and I, I'll I'll say this: I used to get a lot of videos that were very one sided, and it's like, oh, look what the police are doing, and look at this. Yeah. And now it's a lot more about let's talk, and I and I'm glad to see that that people are like we could sit around and blame. And point fingers and talk about what the issue is. But what I really like to see is that there are a lot of content creators coming up with, let's talk about the solution. Yeah. And and demonstrating, let's let's openly conversate about certain things. Let me give you a perspective that you haven't thought about before. I saw one video really quickly, um, and it was, I forget the title of it, but it's like if the shoe was on the other foot. And instead of white police officers with a black guy outside the car, it's black police officers with a white guy outside the car. And it's just, it makes even as a black guy, you're like, Huh, I never thought of it from that perspective, right? Yeah. So people are challenging our thinking and, and creators are making these videos and having these podcasts and these, these videos that are really challenging us to think outside the box. And that's what I really love to see going on. For sure. Uh, I'd say that the end goal for me uh, in doing this podcast, if I could just shift a few people, just start um, judging people for their character uh, and not for how they look. Right. Um, not for who you think they are. Uh, not because of their sexuality. Not because of their upbringing. Because they're maybe not as affluent as you are. Um, and just judge people on their character. Right. There are a lot of really great people out there. Mm-hmm. Actually, before we go, I want to tell one quick story. Yeah. I want to end on this note. Okay. I was walking last weekend in Toronto. Um, with a young man that I've known for quite some time now that I used to mentor. Now he's an adult. And we're walking downtown, and I had stopped. I think my phone rang or something, and so he got a little bit ahead of me. And as I look up, I see he's talking to an old man. And then suddenly he sort of raises his arm and lets the old man take his arm, and then he proceeds to walk the old man home. Um, I wasn't surprised because that's the kind of person he is. But let me describe this young man to you, and let me describe the old man. The old man is in his 80s. He's shaking. He's old, um, of European background. Uh, He's Caucasian. And the young man is uh, a black youth. I would say his fashion style is somewhat urban, Uh, six foot four, imposing. He's an athlete, so he's pretty fit. Um, and that old man willingly took his arm and allowed him to take him to his door at his downtown condo. Wow. Now, what's fascinating is that old man saw kindness in this giant. Right. I'm going to put this question out there. Why is it that police see someone who is intimidating when the police officer has a weapon which is a gun and a taser, but somehow only sees that this person is intimidating. And an 85, 86, 87-year-old man doesn't feel intimidated by the same person. That tells you that there is a problem in how people see people. Mm-hmm. There's a problem in how police prejudge the person they're approaching. How can an old man accept help and take this, allow this guy to take him to his door but police think if they encounter someone who's 6'4", 
who happens to be black, that they should be thinking about unholstering their weapon or at least having their taser ready. Yeah. There's something wrong here. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's deep. we can fix it. Mm-hmm. We need everyone working together so we can fix it. Uh, I enjoyed seeing that. It brought great joy to my heart because I was like, this is for that young man, but also for the old man who so willingly took help. I mean, we all have to be better. Ultimately, we all have to be better. I know you said you got to get the last comment in, but I'm going to just pose a question. Um, more so to our viewers. Obviously, we're doing this, these podcasts and these videos to get the conversation going. And you shared a wonderful story about acts of compassion and kindness. And so I would challenge all of you in the comments below to make, let us know about a story or a time that you've seen or experienced or had your own acts of kindness given to you or to somebody else. We know that we're, chal- we're, we're facing a very difficult time and we're seeing change happen, but we can't just focus on the negative. Let's focus on all the positive that's happening as well. We need to flood social media. We need to flood the media with positive stories as well as address the issues. So while we're tackling all the negative stuff in the comments below, please share your stories, your feelings, and things that you've seen to inspire other people. Kevin, thanks so much again. Thank you. We'll do this again. Absolutely. All right. All right. All the best.